had for our church when, when Pastor Martin Crystal first started our church, and they called it a church for generations. And I'm really excited about next month, about talking about the different generations that it takes to make the body of Christ, to make a church. And it's something that is really important to me, and I'm really excited about that. But today, I want to, I want to look at something that I'm calling do change, do period change, period, do change. Change is a lot to do with doing, and doing is such an important part of change in life. But I have a question I want to start off this morning with, and it's this. What makes a Christian different from anyone else? What makes a Christian any different from anyone else? Maybe we need to define what an actual Christian is, first of all. Maybe we need to even ask, what is the difference between a Christian who says they're a Christian as opposed to a Christian who really is a Christian? Is there a difference? Can you even say you're a Christian but not really be a Christian? Or can you be a Christian but not realize you are a Christian? But fundamentally, what makes a Christian different from anybody else? And I've been thinking about that recently, and so I've got a few what I call... um, difference propositions that I want to put to you. Difference propositions are basically what I'm proposing is a difference between someone who says they're Christian and someone who says they're not Christians. These are are, are very common difference propositions that people will expect are Christians. They They will expect that this is what it is when you're a Christian. You're a Christian if you do these things or you are these things. And I've got four suggestions of what is commonly accepted or thought of as Christian to make us different, the things that make us different from anyone else. And the first one is this, Christians attend church. Christians attend church. The problem with that, of course, is that it's often considered that if I attend church, then somehow I'm building up credit with God. And if I don't go to church, does that mean that I'm not a Christian? So if I don't attend church, then I'm not a Christian. Even if I say I'm a Christian, I don't attend church, then maybe I'm not a Christian. Or maybe if you don't attend church, maybe you do think you're a Christian, but now you've got to figure out what is it that makes you a Christian. But many Christians actually believe that if they just attend church or come to church, that somehow I've built up a relationship or a credit with God to account myself as a follower of Christ. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that going to church is bad, but that's a common belief of what makes you a Christian. The second one I would say is this, that Christians are spiritually fervent. That if I'm spiritually fervent, if I switch on that, that bone or that muscle inside my body about spirituality, then somehow that's what makes me Christian. If I, if I, if I worship enough, if I throw my hands in the air and I just kind of swing like this and I just really sing a song with such depth and agony in my face when I'm worshiping God, I'm showing my fervency from God. I mean, the Bible even says that we're a peculiar people, right? The problem is I, sometimes I think the world looks at us and thinks, you're not peculiar, you're weird, right? Anyone thought about that about, about yourself or about someone else in the church? Sure you have. You've been singing there, like, worshiping God like this, and you see someone off in the corner of your eye, and they're like, they're a little bit too into this song right now, right? You ever been felt like that? Sometimes, though, we identify ourselves as showing our fervency in prayer, our fervency in servanthood, our fervency in how much we study the Bible, or our fervency in how much we worship God and how deeply and painfully we can sing this song to God. And somehow, that's what makes me a Christian. Maybe it's that Christians are good. 
That's an often another uh, uh, way that we identify ourselves as someone who is a Christian as opposed to someone who's not a Christian is that if I do not do bad things, then of course I must be good. Then therefore I must be a Christian. In fact, we did a series recently called The Big Ten about all the Ten Commandments. And in fact, it's amazing how uh, uh, many of us think that, well, if I don't kill someone this morning, and if I don't, if I don't uh, lie to someone, if I, don't, uh, if I don't cheat on my wife, and I don't, I don't do bad things, then therefore I am a Christian. I'm doing good things. The problem with that is you'll never do enough good to be good enough. So we know we're not a Christian based on our good works, how well we can actually do things. In fact, I wonder if sometimes uh, um, the people in the world can even look at Christians and see them attending church, see them living a good life, but they don't see any difference in their life compared to themselves. You see, if I'm a non-Christian and I don't kill someone, I don't cheat on my wife, I don't lie, I don't steal, I don't do all these bad things, but I don't go to church, I don't subscribe to the faith, the Christian faith, am I just as good as you are? What makes you as a Christian any better than I am? And I wonder if sometimes the world maybe is sick of Christians who actually act and think like they're better than the world simply because they attend church or they don't do bad things so because they're just good people. But the fact is, that doesn't make us Christians. Being someone who doesn't do a list of bad things doesn't make us Christians. The last one I want to suggest is what makes us a, a different from the rest of the world is that often we think that Christians just make better choices. See, if I, if I make better choices in life, then therefore I can be blessed and I am the example of what a Christian is because I've made better choices. But I know many non-Christians that make good choices too. They make very good choices. They're wise people, they're smart people. I've learned from them, but they don't subscribe to the Christian way of life. In fact, I was watching, when I was in Britain, I was watching uh, a thing on TV where uh, uh, they have this show where they take a family that wants to emigrate to Australia, and then what they do is they'll take them to Australia and they'll let them experience what it is to work there. Let me experience what it is to live there, what the lifestyle is like, what the social life is like, and, and what it is for their kids to go to school. And so they can get to see, would they want to actually emigrate to Australia? And so they go over several months to see what this is like, to make a decision, should I go to Australia or not? And as we were watching it, we noticed that they were making decision after decision after decision. The schooling is good, that's, that's good, then we can go to Australia. The social life, oh, it's not as good as in Britain. Okay, that's a kind of a negative thing. Oh, the work and making more money over there is much better. That's a positive. And they're weighing everything up. But the one thing they didn't ask was, does God want me to go to Australia? Now, of course, maybe that's not a common question that they ask on TV. Uh, do you think that Jesus is telling you to go to Australia today? Yes or no? Yes or no? What is it going to be today? No, 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 you won't watch that on TV. That's not the type of thing that is shown on TV. But you're watching people make these decisions in life, but they haven't made a decision based on, does God want me to do this? Christians will often identify themselves as people who are just trained to make good decisions and include God into their decision-making process. But what is the difference? What is it when it fundamentally comes down to it? What is the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian? Are you ready to hear this? This is what it is. It's very simple. A Christian is someone who hears God's word and does what it says to do. How simple is that? 
A Christian is someone who hears God's word and does what it says to do. How do I know this? Because in James, it says this, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Right, okay, so I wanna see by show of hands, how many of you today got up in the morning and didn't look at yourself in the mirror? Anyone? Anyone not look at the mirror? One person, we can tell. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Um, Most of us all, everyone pretty much looks at a mirror before you go out, and we all say thank you for looking at yourself in the mirror before you go out, right? We look at the mirror, we get the mirror, and we look at ourselves, and of course, no, that's the magnified version. Let's not do that side. Woo, look at that. Um, And when we look at ourselves, we're looking for things in the mirror that will tell us something about ourselves that we need to change before we go out into the world, right? Right, and most of you get up in the morning. How many of you get up in the morning and you get up in the morning and you look in the mirror and you go, oh gosh, oh, I'll get a shower right now, okay? But maybe there's some of you, Jared Evans, right, that gets up in the morning, looks in the mirror and goes, yeah, baby. <laughs> look at that stunning guy right there. Why does, I'll tell you, my, my wife's lucky. Look at that one right there, right? right? Now, maybe some of you, it's mostly guys that think that, right? Maybe some of you are like that. You get up in the morning. Maybe the wives need to tell us that your, your husbands are like that. You think you're awesome first thing in the morning, and you don't need to do anything, but you had to get married and then get cleaned up, and that's why you look as good as you do, right? But most of us look in the mirror and go, "Woo! oh my gosh, is that bags? Am I going somewhere? Look at these bags that are under my eyes. Oh my goodness. And then how many of you have done this? You've actually taken your face, and you've done this, oh, that's what I looked like 10 years ago. There I am. What are all these crevices, right? And you stretch your face, and maybe what you'll do is you go to plastic surgery, and you'll get a facelift so you can have a permanent smile, right? Just like this. And you look kind of odd. Maybe some of you do. You look in the mirror and go, oh, I'm getting some gray hairs. It's like creeping up over the top of my head. Where is my hair going? My, 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 my fringe is disappearing and your forehead is growing into this huge cone head, right? And you're just going bald. I'm really sorry. You're going bald. And the hair is migrating to somewhere else on your body. And now we've got hair here when you really want it here, right? And you're looking and go, I need to do something about this. Maybe your hair's a mess and you need to brush it first thing in the morning. Maybe some of you... <clears throat> <laughs> right? Most of you getting up in the morning and then you're looking at yourself sideways and going, <gasps> and you're sucking in to see what it would look like if you really did work out. If you really were just a little thinner. I was like this thin 20 years ago, but now I'm like, <sighs> and it just comes out. And I'm like, am I really? I should suck in a little bit more. Now I, I shouldn't wear that shirt anymore because your shirt's like this now. It's like pulling at your buttons, right? It's pulling at your buttons on your shirt, and they're like this. And it's like, those buttons are crying for help. Help! Help! Get me off of this body, right? Everybody's done that. We've been in the position where we're looking at ourselves in the mirror, and we're shocked by what we see because we see defects. But the Bible is saying this. What is the point in looking in that mirror if you're not going to do something about it? It's like looking in the mirror and going, whoa, I really need to brush that hair. There's my brush, that's good, I've got my brush. Oh my gosh, I've got these sticky up hair. You know what I should do? Use this hairspray to try and 
just try and calm this thing down and I'll spray it and then suddenly it'll stick down and now I've got control of this mane that's on my head. Or maybe you've got a beard and you need to trim it up just a little bit and just get a little bit neat and tidy there, but it's actually sitting there on the top. What is the point looking in the mirror, having all this product on your table and then going, yep, I've got the product, I've got the solutions, I know what to do, and then you walk away from it. What is the point? The Bible's saying. Christians are identified by what they do about the things that they see inside of themselves. Christians are different because they look at themselves and they make the the, the mirror like the word of God. They look at themselves and say, that needs to change. That needs to be tamed. That needs to be cut out of me. That needs to be uh, controlled in my life. That needs to be stopped right now. I don't care if it keeps coming back, but I need to be on top of it and use the tools that God has given me to do something about those things. Hello. But many of us as Christians are busy listening to the word or reading it and going, yeah, you know, I should do something about that. I heard a pastor say recently, he called it the oh wow moment, where it's like, oh wow, I really do need to work on my marriage. Oh wow, I really do need to become accountable with my, my, with my sex life and my lust life. Oh wow, I really should change the way that I look at my job and not think of it just as a way of making money, but I should look at it as like a mission field. Oh wow, I should do something about this. But the Bible is saying, if you have the oh wow moment and then you walk away from the word of God and do nothing about it, it's like looking in the mirror, knowing you should brush your hair, but do nothing about it. Hello? James is very clear here. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Deception means that you believe you're something you're not really. Deception is basically saying, I am a Christian because I attended church on Sunday. I'm a Christian because I'm a good person not doing bad things. I am a Christian because I've got a a moral framework that helps me to make good decisions in life. I'm a, I, I, I'm, I'm a good Christian because I'm fervent when I worship and I sing those wor- wonderful worship songs on Sunday morning. He is saying this, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself of thinking that you are following Christ when you're not. Hello. The Bible is very clear. And then it continues on with this in James 1.25. It says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives what? Freedom. What does it give? Freedom, it looks into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not just doing it once in my life. I gave my life to Christ. I I decided to turn up to church at Christmas and I felt good about baby Jesus, 10 pound baby Jesus uh, telling me he's come to save the world and he's come to save me, but I'm not coming back for another year until you do something special at Christmas time so I can feel the great googly feelings within myself. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law and gives freedom, that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. They will be blessed in what they do. The perfect law, we know this, is not something that is easy. And honestly, if you gave your life to Christ uh, and you have wondered if maybe your life should be getting better, I've got news for you. Your life gets worse when you came to Jesus. James, I came to Jesus and everything was awesome when I came to Jesus. No, I came to Jesus and things got worse. I had to start changing things. I had to start doing the right thing. 
I had to start forgiving people that I was mad at. I had to start loving people that I didn't want to love, loving especially that they're unlovable. I had to start being generous. I had to be, be sacrificial. I had to put God's will before myself. Life doesn't get easier when you become a Christian. And the Bible says this, it brings blessing. It may not bring blessing today, but it will bring blessing at some point in your life. It'll bring blessing maybe in your children's life because you chose to walk with Christ. I know so many people who have, who have I've, I've had the, the privilege of being a part of their life and mentoring them and, and being, being in their life. And, and the things that they struggle with, I look at it and sometimes I'll say, did your parents walk with God? No, my parents weren't Christians. Okay. Now I know why you're struggling with certain things, because you're relearning certain behaviors in life according to the Christian way. And I'm looking at my own life thinking, I'm so grateful for what my parents gave me, because I don't know any other way but to do those things, but to do the right things. I only know the right ways, and I'm not saying I do everything right, but I only know the right ways to do these things, and it's no big deal for me because I was raised in a Christian household. But for someone that wasn't raised in a Christian household, they're, they're battling with different behaviors inside of themselves, different desires. Imagine if you make a decision to follow Christ and it's difficult for you, but it actually ends up being much simpler for your children. Do you want that for your children? Do you want to see them? Listen, if you're a young person, it's very easy to follow your own desires, to follow your own uh, 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 desires to, to have sex before marriage. And, and sometimes you may even wonder, well, what's the point in waiting? Nobody in the world waits. Why would I wait? It doesn't seem it makes that much difference. But let me tell you, the payoff of the intimacy in your marriage later on is worth every moment that you resist giving into temptation. I know it because I did it myself. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong, I was tempted many times. But I'm so glad I don't have to tackle some of the things that I'm, that I'm involved with marriage counseling in some people's lives where they're now trying to forgive the other person because they had a string of relationships before they got married. They're not sure if they have a disease because they had sex before marriage. They're not sure if they have children out there because they had unprotected sex. Listen, let me tell you, it might be a difficult, perfect law to follow, but the payoff is always great. And the Bible says, if you want to have this freedom, if you want to have this blessing in your life, the reward might come later, but you've got to pay the price now. So what does Jesus say about this? This is what he says. In Matthew 7, 24, 27, it says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose up and the winds blew and beat against the, hey, come on back, where are we? And beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man. We just read the word deceived. Is a foolish, deceived man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. What Jesus is saying here is this. When change comes, you are not to be destroyed by the change. We've been doing a whole series about change this month, and if, got, if you haven't heard it, you've got an opportunity to go to our website or get our app and listen to some of the teachings before. They were absolutely tremendous. But change is always going to come. 
It's amazing how we often think that, well, change isn't really going to, I'm the type of person who's not going to change. I was, I was in a store the other day, and I heard someone oversaid that very phrase. They said, well, you know me. I'm me. You know, I'm not going to change. I'm me. And people say that. I'm me. I'm not going to change like it's, a, a, like it's a medal on their chest, like it's a reward of saying, look at me. I'm so consistent. But we can be consistently wrong and consistently bad. Storms are always going to come our way. Difficulties are going to change our situations. We're always going to be beaten and pummeled by parts of life, but we are not to be destroyed in that change. Our family is not to be destroyed during that change. But what's even better than that is that we're actually subsequently meant to end up as a refuge for others that are going through those storms. See, Jesus never promised that we were ever going to uh, uh, run away or somehow be hidden away from those storms. We're in life just as much as anyone else. I look just like my neighbor who lives right beside me. I probably go through the similar and uh, the same difficulties as he does as well. What makes the difference between me and him? What's the difference? I was thinking about this the other night. And I was wondering about, about what it is that makes someone a Christian. And of course, we just talked about that it's someone who looks at the word of God and then does what it says. And this phrase came to me in the middle of the night, and it was this, that Christians are basically first responders to the words of Christ. First responders. Why first? I'll tell you why first. Because in Philippians chapter 2, it says that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So just because, just because I say it now doesn't mean that everyone else is never going to say it. No, it says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Everyone's going to speak the truth at some point. I was just first in the door. I'm a first person to respond to who Christ is. And of course, I know there's many people that, some people are just kind of immune to the whole thing of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they're not. Everyone responds in some way. They're responding with a yes or they're responding with a no. They're responding with something. But what does this mean? This is what I think it means. Christians should be first to jump into the mess of change because change is always gonna be messy. Change is messy in your own life. If you're gonna need change, if you're gonna become a Christian, there's gonna be things that have to be changed. You weren't loved by Christ because you were lovable. You were loved by Christ Christ because he loved his father. And when he loved his father, he gave us the power to be changed. There's a lot of mess inside of us and we have to be changed. We're first responders to the word of Christ and we are ready to be changed, to be bringing life, to bring salvation into our lives, to bring life and to bring salvation into our children's lives, into our family's life. But the other thing about this thing is that Christians are first responders to the word of Christ because they're not only just the first to jump into the mess of change, but we just mentioned this, that they actually have such a good foundation that they're able to help other people during change as well. Listen, can you imagine if you were on, your house was on fire? Tonight, your house is gonna be on fire and you get your smartphone and you dial 911. And it goes through to the operator and say, what's your emergency? And I said, I've got a fire in my house. Okay, putting you through to the fire department. We called the fire department. And I said, sir, can you come and put my fire out because my house is on fire? Can you imagine if he said this? I would love to come, but I can't because my own house is on fire. What is the point in calling that fireman if he can't come and help you put out your fire? What is the point in having an emergency line if there's no one available to put the fire out? 
when we call up the emergency line, we're expecting that their life is in order, that their presence, who they are right now is in order, that they don't have their fire uh, uh, burning their house. They don't have a house on fire. They don't have the fire department burning down right now. I'm expecting that they are ready to jump to it. Why? Because they're living the life. They have done the things that have put them in a position where they are not uh, 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 going to burn down. Doesn't mean they don't have electrical in their house. Doesn't mean they don't have a fireplace. Doesn't mean they don't have things that could catch fire just like it does in my house, but they're more ready than I am. Listen, Christians, I've got some news for you. If you were only to be saved, you were only here to be saved then you might as well die now. Go ahead. If you're saved, then go on to heaven. I can tell you, according to the word of God, it's so much better to be closer in the presence of God. But there's a reason why God has put you here on earth for this time, for this moment in life. And it's not just so that you change, it's so that you can become the refuge for other people. You see, when the moment comes when someone needs to call up and say, you know what, I'm going through a divorce right now. I've heard you went through a divorce. I've heard you went through a divorce and you were brutalized by that whole thing. You were devastated by that thing. But somehow you came out well on the other side. What did you do to make the difference? Your answer is gonna be because I looked back to God and I asked him, what should I do? And I followed what he told me to do. I told him, he he told me to forgive them to move on, to give my best, to not fight, to not hold on to bitter and anger. And that's what I did in my life. And that person will say to you, whatever you've got is what I want to have as well. What type of refuge are you? I'm not saying the storms are not gonna come your way. But if you are listening and reading the word of God and not doing the things that you know to do, then you are no hope for anyone else. I believe that God has given us the tools. He's given us the tools through three different things. He's given it through the Word of God. He's given us the great Word of God. And we've got the second thing, which is the Holy Spirit that speaks to us clearly. And the third thing is, we've got other people around us, other Christians, other mentors, other fathers and mothers in the faith that are there to help us hear the Word of God. God has always given us three different ways we can hear Him. I want to encourage you as Christians to listen to His Word, to read His Word, to listen to the Holy Spirit, spend time in prayer with Him, spend time with other people to receive the Word of God so that you can see the defects inside of yourself and you can do something about it. All because God's got a job for you. All because this is the days that we are drawing closer to the time that He shall return. He's got a job for you. What is that job? Listen clearly to what the Word of God says.